Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Financial jargon. We're going to try and explain some of it on the show today. Welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. Walter Storholt here alongside David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors, serving you throughout Kansas City area with an office in Overland Park. We're online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. David, what's good in your world this week? Oh, my, Walter. That's a big question. I think everything's good in my world. You know, I was I was kind of um, bemoaning the fact that, you know, we haven't had football for a while and, and basketball is now over and I'm not a real big baseball guy. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I realized, oh, my, it's it's golf season. So it's almost golf season here in Kansas City. So um, you know, I got that to look forward to. There's always something to look forward to, depending on your outlook on life. So uh, everything's good. How about in your world? We already rang in rang in golf season, sort of the uh, that you know official <laughs> beginning with the Masters, right? Yeah, so. and that was fun. I I enjoyed that. Fantastic. Scott Scheffler did. A- Are you getting into any of the USFL football since you're missing football so much? You know, I'm not at all. It yeah. just has zero interest for me. What about you? you like that? Nah, I just, yeah, I can't. I can't pretend to be interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Part bet of there like, are some yeah, second tier names of people that I would know. Yeah, I just haven't paid any attention to it. Yep, it's just uh, it's it's neat that it's on in the spring, but yeah, it just doesn't quite doesn't quite do it for me. It's almost as if if the NFL did like a mini spring season, like that would be maybe more interesting than like another a lower tier of football. Yeah, I'm not sure how much their bodies could put up with all that year round no, punishment. I don't think so. I don't think they could. Not not saying that it was a realistic thing, but like, you know, that could be interesting if they did just like a mid-year tournament or something like that. Something <laughs> that was just like a in May, a four-week tournament of some different teams just to give you a little a bit of that a little bit of taste or something like that. Yeah. NFL flag football. There you Nobody go. gets hit. Mm. No. And see, I, I think then I wouldn't watch. <laughs> we're right, we're right back that to one, undoing huh? what we miss about it, right? <laughs> Too funny. Well, uh, let's dive into the main topic of the day, and that's jargon. And you know, David, as well as I do, that there are certainly, for even the average investor out there, some important terms that they're going to come across as they prepare for retirement. And if you have a basic understanding of some of these things, well, it's going to help you achieve financial success. So on today's show, David has picked out five pieces of jargon to go over. And don't worry, we're not going to kind of go get lost down the rabbit hole of trying to explain to you what a company's P.E. ratio is and how it meshes with alpha and beta ratings to determine how much stock you should buy. And, David, I don't even know if that sentence made sense because I was kind of just <laughs> throwing some jargon together there. That was pretty bit. good. Pretty okay, good. we're cl- close enough to sort of seem like that could be a realistic thing. Uh, but, no, we've, we've isolated five different pieces of financial jargon that we're going to try and give you the skinny on, tell you why it's important, what is really important to know about it from your perspective as an investor and a saver. And I'll give you a preview. We're going to talk about inflation, recession. What does that really mean? Dollar cost averaging. Are you going to come across that term in your retirement planning? Bonds versus stocks and that debate and how they're different and alike. And capital gains and losses and why you need to have a good understanding of those as well. So those are the five topics of financial jargon we'll hit on today. David, inflation is certainly a word everyone's been hearing about lately, but let's really dive into what it means and what's most important to know about it. Yeah, so inflation is basically a measure of how much prices for goods and services 
are rising over a particular period of time. So uh, inflation comes about from a couple of different reasons, not always the same way over the, over the decades. But a lot of times it's caused by too much demand. And that's a lot of what we're seeing today. It can also be, be caused by rising input costs for the things that we buy. And frankly, there's some of that going on today too with, you know, think about the price of lumber, which is now coming down. Uh, but the price of lumber just skyrocketed during COVID. The cost of labor, uh, which had been stuck in a low gear for decades. And now all of a sudden you drive by a McDonald's and they're offering 15 to 18 to 20 bucks uh, to come and work there with benefits. So labor cost inputs are going up. Too much demand is really where this whole thing, in my opinion, got started in America. We had some government policies. A lot of times government policies contribute to inflation as well. But we had this massive bunch of stimulus that came out of COVID. You got a bunch of money sitting in checking accounts and no place to go because nobody was going out to restaurants or hopping on airplanes or going to hotels. So they got busy on Amazon and started buying stuff. And all that stuff had to be put on a ship and shipped over and caused a lot of supply chain issues. And the, the costs of those things went up and up and up. And then you throw in a little U Ukraine and, and Russia war and, and gasoline prices are up. So um, inflation is a super hot topic right now because it's super hot. We've been very low inflation. And the fact the Fed has been trying to generate some inflation for the last decade or more and couldn't seem to get it over 2%. And now we're sitting at at least the, the current reads are 7 or 8% and maybe it's higher in your life. The question I think is, is inflation good or is it bad? And I think the answer is, well, it's a, a couple of different prongs to the answer. A little bit of inflation is good uh, because it, it makes you want to spend now versus waiting to spend later. And that's good for our economy because 67 or 70% of our economy is consumer spending. But persistently high inflation is a bad thing in case, in fact, it's a really bad thing, especially if you're a retiree, because a lot of your income as a retiree does not keep up with inflation. If you have to have, happen to have a pension. Uh, now, if you're a Missouri teacher, you get a cost of living increase, but you're, if you're a retired Kansas teacher, you don't. Most of the pensions that I see do not have a cost of living increase associated with it. So your let's say you were getting a thousand bucks a month and if inflation is going up at eight percent and your pension's going up at zero well that thousand bucks a month is worth a lot less this year than it was two or three or four years ago let alone when you turn 80 and you started receiving your pension at 65 that the dollar amount you get is going to be worth a lot less because of inflation so inflation is really important. Is there something we could actually do about it? We as, as people listening to this podcast or me as an advisor, no. Uh, other than we can restructure our lives either temporarily to get around some temporary inflation factors or permanently if inflation looks like it's going to be persistent, persistently high for a longer period of time. There's the skinny on inflation. Certainly something we want to all be aware of. 
Uh, we could have said that before this most recent period of inflation, David. We, we knew that inflation would come back again one day, even though it was kind of buried in the background for so many years. And now it's here, and it's even more important to understand it and have a good grasp of it. And that kind of leads us into the next buzzword, which I'm imagining is why you picked it as the second one to cover on the show today, David. Uh, Another word that people are starting to hear more about, maybe we'll begin to hear even more and more about it in the coming weeks and months, is recession. And this is a little bit, a little bit of a scary word, right? Like we don't, we don't like this word all that much. We'll get into uh, some of the more unsavory aspects of a recession in the second part of this little discussion. But first of all, how is it, how, what is a recession? So a recession is commonly defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That's the way I've described it ever since I got into this business 40 plus years ago. But the actual definition is whenever the National Bureau of Economic Research declares one and So that seems a little wonky, but for instance, they declared in hindsight a two-month recession because of COVID. They looked in the rearview mirror and said, you know what, that meets the the requirements for uh, a recession. Um, Slowdown in business, unemployment, various economic indicators that would say, okay, we actually had a recession, a slowdown that was meaningful. Well, that was only a two-month recession, well short of two quarters in a row. So, you know, they always declared in advance, I mean, in, in hindsight, and what everybody wants to know is, well, how can we see it in the out the front windshield of my little economic car, as opposed to seeing it in the rearview mirror? So there are ways that you can attempt to identify a recession coming at you. Leading economic indicators, for instance. So look at jobless claims. Look at um, a purchasing manager's index, the PMI. Look at retail sales. Those are, uh, the yield curve is a much talked about, but (laughs) not an awesome indicator of a recession being imminent, but it is associated, an inverted yield curve is associated with a recession. But those are things that help you identify is a recession likely in the near term? Why do we care about that? Well, typically during recessions, there are lots of layoffs. So your job might be in jeopardy. There are a lot of business closures. So if you're a business owner, you may have to put up with significant slowdown in sales, which means you may have to lay off some of your staff. You may have to start doing more of the active work yourself, become an active owner as opposed to a passive owner. And in a worst case scenario, you may have to shut your doors. Uh, so those kinds of economic slowdowns can have a significant impact on, on workers and business owners. And then as, as portfolio managers, as, as you're a do-it-yourselfer or you have somebody else managing your money, the average downturn of the stock market during a recession over the last 100 years is about 35%. So, you know, nobody really wants to have a big ice cream scoop taken out of their portfolio of 35%. Your million dollar portfolio drops by $350,000. So that's not an end of the world thing if you're 45 and still 20 years away from retirement. But if you're 70 and you need that money for retirement, it can be a big thing. So I think that's why the recession outlook is important. And... It's, it's important to be prepared 
uh, for when the next recession comes. Not that you can do anything about stalling it off, but it might help you more mentally prepare as your portfolio is falling in value. Or if your indicators are good enough and you have enough confidence in them, then maybe you make some changes early on during that slide into recession. So the impact on you is less and you don't make silly emotional decisions near the bottom of a major downturn. My ears really perked up when you started talking about ice cream scoops there, David, but <laughs> not, not ice cream scoops out of our portfolio. No, you don't want to have one of those <laughs> big scoops come out of your portfolio, that's for sure. No, not at all. Good breakdown, though, of recession. And uh, yeah, you can see when the concerns about inflation and then recession sort of merge, uh, big worries start popping up for folks. And again, we're going to circle back to this as we kind of go through some of these other pieces of financial jargon on today's show as well. Uh, by the way, if you have any questions for David, you want to talk about something that you hear on the show, really easy to reach out. You can give him a call anytime at 913-317-1414. You can even ask about setting up a complete planning review, go through that CPR process to look at your finances, your financial situation, and what your retirement plan looks like and how you might want to improve it, tweak it moving forward. 913-317-1414 if you want to go through that review or just ask any questions that might be on your mind related to something that we talk about here on the show or something that you're going through. Uh, we also have resources available to you if you just check the show notes of today's show as well. Uh, you'll find links to reset, uh, resources, that phone number that I gave out, David's email, and of course, coveryourassetskc.com, the website to go to. So we've covered inflation and recession. What about our next piece of financial jargon here, David? Dollar cost averaging. Yeah, so this is a, a super good topic for, we have a wide variety of listeners, a, a bunch of people in their uh, late 20s, 30s, and then a bunch of people that are in their 60s and 70s. And so there's a little something in this topic for both of you. If you're younger, dollar cost averaging is your friend. And so I, I regularly counsel my younger friends and clients with your 401k, your IRA, maybe your, your personal investments that you're not using to save up for a home purchase. When the market goes down, maybe because of recession that we just talked about, stock prices go down. And what you're doing by dollar cost averaging, having every two weeks, having money come out of your paycheck and go into your 401k or your IRA, that systematic investment, is that stock prices are coming down, you're basically buying stocks on sale. Because over longer periods of time, the stock market, at least up until now, has always gone up, but not in any given six or 12 month period. So when the market is going down, that's not a time to be fearful, in my opinion, when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. That's a time to <laughs> concentrate on your career, keep building your career, um, and keep stashing away money on a, on a systematic basis. The, the reverse side of that is when you're retired, you actually don't benefit from dollar cost averaging. You, have a, you potentially have a negative benefit from reverse dollar cost averaging. And all that means is most of my clients are consistently taking money out of their, their IRA rollovers to fund their living expenses. And if you don't have cash, enough cash set aside, what you're doing when the market is going down is you're selling stock holdings in order to fund your outflows that, that, are, that are 
paying for your daily life. And so what you're doing is selling low after you had bought high. And what we're trying to do is buy low, sell high. But reverse dollar cost averaging does exactly the opposite. So the way that you avoid having the negative impacts of reverse dollar cost averaging is to make sure that you always have, let's just call it a year or two worth of really boring cash or bonds in your account. And that's what you're drawing your monthly income off of such that when the stock market does go down 10 or 15 or 20 or 35 or 50% like it did in 2008 or 2001, when those stock prices go dramatically down, you're not chewing your fingernails off because you know you've got cash set aside that's going to fund your monthly expenses until stock prices rebound. So that's the difference. Dollar cost averaging is your friend when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s. It's not your friend when you're in your 60s and 70s retired. Make sure that you know how it impacts your personal situation. Interesting how it has sort of that reverse relationship or, or benefit based on where you stand in your age and all those kinds of things. Interesting. All right, so uh, two to go here, David. Uh, we've covered uh, dollar cost averaging now, uh, recession, inflation. Let's get into that bonds versus stocks discussion. Yeah, so I'll, I'm going to try to keep this fairly uh, high level, not wonky, and I'm going to give you, a, I think, a real easy explanation at the end, which everybody ought to real quickly understand. But a stock is basically, you're taking an ownership stake in a particular company, albeit a very small ownership stake. So let's say you buy Tesla stock. Um, you are You own a little piece of that particular company. And if the company does well, well, then you do well, usually via growth in the stock price. And maybe you get a dividend which is taxed advantageously, but maybe you're getting a dividend, a quarterly dividend from that company as well. Uh, if the company does poorly, well, the dividend gets cut or goes to zero. And maybe uh, we can all think of things like Enron or, you know, in the past where stocks, companies went bankrupt. The first people to lose all of their money when a company goes bankrupt are the stockholders. So what about bondholders? How is that different? If you own a bond, you are basically a lender to the company. You don't own a, a, an ownership or an equity stake like a stock. You're actually a lender to that company. Company does well, well, you get the interest payment that they promised to you. You don't get any growth. You don't get any increasing dividends. You get the interest payment that you signed up for. Company does poorly. Well, they are most likely going to keep paying that interest. They may cut the dividend rate to zero, but they're going to keep paying that interest. Why? Because if they don't, you and the other bondholders are going to push them into bankruptcy. In bankruptcy, stock owners typically end up with zero. Bondholders, depending on how, how bad the bankruptcy is, you may end up with 50 or 70 or 95% of your money back. And so you're in a dramatically different position, risk position, if you're a bondholder versus a stockholder. Here's kind of a quick example that everybody can relate to. If you happen to be a homeowner or you understand how home ownership works, let's just say you bought a $500,000 house. You put 20% down. So that's a hundred grand and market does well. The price of your home goes up to 600,000. 
Now you only put a hundred thousand in, but now the price of your home is up by a hundred thousand. So your hundred thousand of equity has gone up to two hundred thousand. You've doubled your money, even though your home only went up from five hundred thousand to six hundred thousand. That's the beauty of leverage. But let's say you lose your job, can't make your payment. The lender then repossesses your home, sells it for whatever they can get for it, and gives you however much is left over at the end, maybe zero out of your 100,000 or maybe more. So the important thing is that if you get yourself into a position where you are subject to fixed payments, like a bond, like a mortgage, the risk is that if you can't or stop making those payments, the person that owns your bond, that owns your mortgage is in complete control. Whereas if you sell stock in a company and you can't pay the dividend, eh, the dividend just doesn't get paid and maybe the stock price goes down, but you don't lose your company in that reason. So, so the risk factors of being a stock owner or a stock issuer are dramatically different than being a bond issuer or a bond holder. Makes sense and a good way to keep it high level there, David. That's a, definitely a good one if folks want a little bit more explanation or education about to give you a call, and that's something you can easily go over in more detail when you go through the complete planning review. Again, 913-317-1414 to number to call if you have any questions for David or cover your assets, kc.com, the place to go online. Brings us to our final piece of financial jargon to cover on today's show, capital gains and losses. Good and bad words, depending on perspective, once again, David, right? Well, exactly. So I think this, um, a lot of th- like a lot of things in finance, this gets summarized in the more you have, the more you need to understand the rules. So I've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, we do taxes for, our, for a lot of our clients. And so I was delivering a tax return two weeks ago, and I had a, a lady who I knew had a really big uh, capital gain. And I already knew the answer before I looked at that. But, I, but, but as I was preparing for this meeting, uh, looking at her tax return, I saw that she had almost no taxes to the federal government. She owed a big tax payment to Kansas, but she owned, owed almost nothing to the federal government. Why? Because she was in the 12% tax bracket. She had, she had um, taken a large long-term capital gain in 2021, and all that means is she'd held this particular stock or set of stocks for more than one year. Well, if you, help, if you have a long-term capital gain and you're in either the 10 or the 12% federal tax bracket, your, tax, your federal tax on that long-term capital gain is zero. Pretty sweet deal. If you happen to be in the 22, the 24, or the 32% bracket, your tax on a long-term capital gain is only 15%. Not zero, but significantly less than how they're taxing your income. And then if you're in the, the top tax brackets, well, the, the capital gains rate is 20%, significantly lower than the uh, tax on ordinary income. So again, your holding period has to be one year. You can offset gains with losses. So that's called tax loss harvesting. And as you're getting down to the end of the year, hopefully you and or your advisor 
If you know you have big gains, and maybe some of them are short-term capital gains, which are taxed as ordinary income, no advantage to those, you start looking around for, well, are there assets in my portfolio that I could sell at a loss to offset those gains? And then one more little piece here is something called the wash sale rule. And all that means is if you're taking a loss, maybe to offset a gain, let's say that you have, um, what would be a good stock that sold off before year end? I don't know, maybe, maybe Tesla. Maybe Tesla was at 1200 and it dropped to 900. And you're thinking, well, I can take that loss and then I'm going to buy Tesla right back because I, I still want to own the stock. The important thing to know is that if you buy that stock back, you've sold it at a loss. And if you buy it back sooner than 30 days, the loss does not count for tax purposes. That's called the wash sale rule. The IRS says, well, if you're just taking the loss to get the offset of some gains, no, we're not going to let you do that unless you're out of that particular stock for 30 days or more. So super important to be aware of the wash sale rule. Uh, so circle all the way back. The more you have, the more you need to understand the rules. So I mentioned at the top of this podcast, I love golf. And every, every now and again, you'll be watching a, a, a PGA event and you'll see that a, a pro hits his ball into a man-made obstruction. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's some stands where some, some fans are sitting or some TV tower or something. And the pro knows that they get a free drop. And they don't have to hit from that obstruction. They get a free drop away from it. And these guys are so good with their wedges and irons that a lot of times they'll turn a, a mess into a par only because they knew the rules about the free drop. And hitting it into a man-made obstruction would be, you know, as an amateur golfer, <laughs> it oftentimes works out differently than when you're a professional. And so these guys know that by understanding the rules, they can benefit their own situation and maybe come out with a par, which keeps them in the hunt for winning the tournament. You as an investor, you as a, as a super saver, you as a maybe retired person who's trying to manage your tax bill, it's really important to understand what some of these rules are because it's easy to think that the rules are always bent to benefit the government, the IRS, which is not true. There are a lot of good rules out there, if you're aware of them, that could be bent to benefit you. So if you have questions on that, make sure that if you're a super do-it-yourselfer, then do a super good job of identifying how those rules might be able to help you. If you've got a professional you're working with, make sure you're asking those types of questions. And if you don't have a good professional, Make sure you find one because a lot of times you can save a lot of tax dollars by getting the right answers before you make a particular transaction. Sounds like you've hit a man-made structure or two in your time, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. Knowing the rules is super important. 
Yes, definitely is. Absolutely. Uh, we'll make sure that you are aware of the rules, understand these moving parts, and hopefully you learned a little something about financial jargon on today's episode. I know we went into some good detail on each of these things, and we spent some time with it because it truly is important to get a good grasp of some of these items. Again, you don't have to know alpha and beta and a lot of the buzzwords out there in order to have success with your finances and in retirement, but some of the basics, it's really helpful at least for I don't know, at least a little bit more comfort in what's happening in the economy and in your own portfolio if we can understand some of these basic things. And uh, that was the mission of today's show. And I'd say mission accomplished, David. Thank you to your great help and explanation. Uh, One more time, if you've got questions for David, give him a call at 913-317-1414 online at coveryourassetskc.com. Contact info and more helpful uh, elements for you available in the show notes of today's program. Uh, David, thanks so much, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode. Yeah, I'm cooking up uh, a, an episode. I'm rereading a book that is fascinating. So if our, if our listeners are looking for a good recommendation, The Accidental President is an awesome book about um, Harry Truman following up from FDR. But it got me thinking about some of my clients who were accidental retirees. And so I'm cooking up a, a podcast, which I hope will be helpful for people in their 50s and 60s who find themselves at the end of their career before they wanted to be at the end of their career and and how they would know what their path would be going forward. Uh, So I I think it's going to be a a really good podcast. I like it. The Accidental Retiree. That'll be next week, next edition of Cover Your Assets KC. For David Dickens, I'm Walter Storholt. Looking forward to that one. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.